Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Our show features our team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. And they'll help you make the most of your money while cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. You'll get clarity on strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. As a longtime foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts. What follows may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. The world is full of stories. Stories of mysteries. Of curiosities. Of oddities. Join Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth for the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected, as they lift the lid and cautiously peer inside the box of oddities. We're getting very excited. We're uh, about a week away from an amazing trip that it has been on our bucket list for over 10 years. Yeah. We're going to Thailand. Sure are. Oh, you're upset, aren't you? Kat's been doing all of the booking for the airlines. And while we're there, we're going to be flying from Bangkok to uh, Chiang Mai, another city north of, of Bangkok, and, and a few other things. And she has been booking all of these domestic Thailand flights. And you've been very sweet, just being really supportive. And, you know, thank you for spearheading this. And, you know, I know this makes you nervous because it does, especially because I'm booking for other people. It's not just me and it's not just you and me. Mm -hmm. And so I'm like, I'm hyper vigilant that I'm getting things right. Well, also the uh, uh, one of the websites, one of the airlines that you were booking a flight on was in uh, Thai. It was Vietnamese. Oh, it was Vietnamese. Oh, that's right. It was uh, Vietjet. Yeah. That's right. So, yeah, you had to book a flight in Vietnamese. Which is fine. I, I'm okay with that. And I, you know, got through the process yesterday. I was booking the leg from Chiang Mai to Phuket. And I was like, okay, here's what we're going to do. And I'm putting all of our passenger information in. And this airline specifically has an option to choose a primary passenger. And that's me, right? Right. Well, I, you're booking it. Yeah. Right. It's I'm on a primary your, passenger. It's on your credit card. That's right. It's you, my contact yep. information. Mm-hmm. And so I'm filling everything out, put all my information, primary passenger in, and then uh, our, our guest who's coming with us, and then you, and made sure that everything's the way that it should be, uh, just paid for everything with my credit card right. because I'm the primary passenger, mm-hmm. uh, provided my contact right. information because I'm the primary passenger. Mm-hmm. And after I finished doing that and I you know, felt this incredible sense of relief because I get so jacked up about it, right? Uh, and then I got an email 
addressed to fucking you <laughs> about the flights that you just booked. Uh-huh. Yeah. You booked three flights. Mm-hmm. I was the only male. Mm-hmm. I was not the primary passenger. Nope. You were. Yep. You paid for it on your credit card with your name yep. on it. And because it appears that I was the, the only, only mister on the itinerary. Yep. So I was the primary. That's hilarious. Is it? Is it hilarious? <laughs> well, you know, I mean, it's only fair. Men own everything, so it's understandable that they would feel that way. <laughs> you know, I'm just saying that to get a rise out of you. Mm-hmm. I understand. No, I can't understand. I really can't. I'm a guy. I can't understand what uh, what that must be like, but it is kind of funny. It's infuriating is what it is. And a, and a little funny. It's bullshit. <laughs> Anyway, thank you for booking that mm-hmm. and for letting me take all the credit. All right. I'm all right now. I mean, really, the the worst thing that happened to me is that I had a frustrating moment while booking a dream trip mm-hmm. to Thailand, yeah, right? I mean, right. how mad can I be? You're right. Right, exactly. And then we relaxed later that evening. What was that time travel movie, that quirky little film that we watched? Beyond the Infinite Two Minutes. I've been on a real time travel movie kick, Mm -hmm. and uh, that was the most recent one that uh, we watched. So much fun. Strange, but delightful. So I kind of had my own boo effect when I came across this story that I'm about to tell you, which involves time travel. Interesting. It's the story of a guy named Mike Markham. He was known as a bit of a genius. In 1995, he was 21 years old, and he was a student majoring in electrical engineering. Okay. He was an intelligent young man. He loved to invent things. He liked to experiment with different projects, just kind of tinkering with things. It was at this time, 1995, when Mike was living in Stanbury, Missouri, and he decided to create what is known this is just kind of a little uh, project he was he was tinkering with. He wanted to create what is known as a Jacob's Ladder. Now, I know you hate that movie. I do. It really fucked me up. And I think I was too young to watch it in Maybe. the first place. Um, and that was the case with several movies that I watched as a young person. A Night in the Life of Jimmy Reardon is another one really? where I really, I was like, what are all these body parts? So I've never seen these. Before. These were films that your dad bought. They were like all recorded off HBO on VHS tapes. Mm-hmm. And your dad bought a lot of yeah. VHS Flash tapes. Dance also. Flash Dance. It was the first time I saw boobs. But I also became very interested in welding. So, you know, <laughs> there's a give and take. <laughs> a Jacob's Ladder is something that you've probably seen in the movies, like, you know, like a mad scientist movie. It's essentially two parallel wires connected to a transformer at the bottom. And this I cre- like Optimus Prime or it's not that kind of a transformer, honey. Sorry. Um, it creates a potential difference between the wires. Now, when the Jacob's Ladder is turned on, electrons are fed into one of the wires. These electrons repel each other, so they jump across to the other wire. The wire is connected, that wire is connected to the ground, and when they jump, we see a spark. Now, the spark heats up the surrounding air, and as the hot air rises, the spark rises with it. The sparks jump back and forth between the two wires and, quote, climb the ladder. You've probably seen that sort of thing. Yeah old horror movies, very Tesla kind of thing. 
Anyway, it's a cool little experiment, and that's what Mike was out to do. On his porch. In his house. Adorable. In Missouri. He wanted to try to improve the efficiency of the device, and to do that, his idea was to reduce air resistance between the two poles by using a compact disc laser that he had modified. He was hoping that this modification would result in a continuous arc. Okay. But when he turned it on, something very unexpected happened. He saw what he described as a heat signature. You know, those wavy lines that you see on a hot highway on a warm summer afternoon that looks like water. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Kind of like I would picture on a Nevada highway. Yeah. Yeah. This heat signature appeared between the two wires and was unusual because it was circular in nature. He described it as looking like a vortex. So he was intrigued by this. Sure. And so he picked up a metal, a sheet metal screw that was lying on the porch floor, and he tossed it through the vortex to see what would happen. He claims the screw disappeared for about a half a second. It appeared to blip out and then back into reality. He continued to throw screws or conduct experiments, I guess would be a more professional way of putting it. (laughs) He did that a few more times with the same results until the CD laser overheated and caught on fire. Okay. So now he's intrigued with this phenomena and starts to theorize on what was happening to the screws. And one thought he had was perhaps he had stumbled upon some sort of time warping device. So the only way forward in his mind was to scale the experiment up and try again. Obviously. It's like a reverse honey, I shrunk the kids kind of situation. I thought the same thing when I was putting this story together. It is because we just watched Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. So he's going to scale this up, but to do it, he was going to need a much more powerful transformer. And so he starts looking into what it would take to purchase something like that. And he found that they were far more expensive than he could afford, way above his pay grade. So he came up with an alternative solution and not a very good one. (laughs) (laughs) Right. He located six old transformers that were being stored at a St. Joseph light and power generating station in King City, Missouri. Nobody was using them. They were just sitting there. So he decided to uh, liberate them, shall we say. Sure. He estimated that to conduct his experiment, he needed three transformers to generate the needed power. But he took all six just to make sure. Sure, sure, sure. Each one weighed over 300 pounds. Oof. Now, when he got his new improved Jacob's Ladder slash time machine built, uh, he knew that he wouldn't be able to just run it off residential electric power. And understandably, he was reluctant to call the power company because they'd ask all kinds of pesky questions that he didn't want to answer. Sure. So, so he decided to climb a power pole. Now... I should probably stop right here and say, don't climb power poles. I was just going to say, is this story better suited for the shallow end? <laughs> it, it starts out that way, doesn't it? It's a bad idea climbing power poles. Even if you're an electrical genius like Mike was, I don't recommend it. Anyway, he hooks it up and then he switches on his much more powerful Jacob's Ladder. 
and it sucked so much power from the grid, way more than he expected, that it caused a brownout over half of the town. Oh, no. There were reports of appliances in homes nearby catching fire and exploding. (laughs) So it didn't take long for the police to figure out what was going on. And Gentry County Sheriff Eugene Lupfer executed a search warrant on January 29th, 1995. And inside Mike's house, they found and retrieved all six of the stolen Transformers. And the estimated value was somewhere around 15000 between twelve dollars and $15,000. So when he's arrested, he's really playing up the whole time machine angle. And I think he was hoping that maybe they would think he was just a nut job and, <laughs> and he wouldn't have to go to jail. But they sentenced him to 60 days in jail. A newspaper in Kansas City, the Kansas City Star, did a story on this and um, mentioned the whole time machine angle. And that's when Art Bell from Coast to Coast AM got in touch. Oh, moment for Art Bell. I loved Art Bell. George Norrie is fine, but Art Bell. There was no need to throw the George Norrie shade. No, I didn't mean to. I like, he's fine. So getting out of jail, Markham appeared on Coast to Coast AM, and he told his story about the screw and his theory about how perhaps this might be some sort of a time machine. Uh, He swore that he was going to scale things up, but would do it legally this time. Fair enough. He said he'd get started on his next experiment as soon as he could come up with some spare parts or money to make it happen. Because of his appearance on the show, many people reached out to him with ideas and funding and spare parts that he might need. I love that. This second Jacob's Ladder, which he created, was much bigger than the previous one, which was pretty big because it blew out the power. (laughs) That one ran at about a kilowatt rate. His new one was at three megawatts. 1.21 gigawatts. And instead of throwing a screw through the vortex, this time he planned to test it on himself. Oh. So a year went by and Markham appears on Art Bell's show again and he said that he is refining his design and using a more sophisticated approach and that the electromagnetic vortex was now big enough for a man to walk through. He said he was very close to generating enough voltage to run the machine and that was the last obstacle to overcome. He claimed that he was less than 30 days away from testing. One of the callers asked him, Um, If he planned on taking anything with him when he traveled in time and he just laughed and said probably just his cell phone. So even back then, cell phones were (laughs) an integral part of people's lives. So that was the last time anybody heard from Mike Markham. What? For a while. Oh. It appeared as though he just vanished in 1997. And there are those who say he was never seen or heard from again. Later that year, a caller to the Art Bell show said they'd come across an archived newspaper article from the 1930s. In it, they talked about finding a man dead on a beach in California. He appeared to have been crushed to death in a strange metal tube. With him was a mysterious handheld device near his body. The description of the device was consistent with, with how one would describe a cell phone from that time. Do we have access to this article? No. No. No, No, I tried to find it. No. Mm -hmm. Now, I would like to address those who say he was never seen or heard from again. This apparently is not true. Okay. It does, however, seem as though he dropped off the radar for a while, up to a couple of years. 
So while doing research for this story, I came across a Reddit thread that they were discussing this. And in the thread, one of the participants claimed to be Mike Markham. It said the real Mike Markham was this, was his uh, Reddit name. In the thread, he said that the story about him being crushed in a tube in the 1930s California was definitely not him. <laughs> <laughs> he also claimed that a picture that had been circulating on sites purportedly of him was not him. Obviously, there were people in this thread that... Uh, thought he was full of shit and that this was all a hoax. Right. And he said this. He said, I wish it was a hoax. For years, he said, people have been contacting him, calling him, writing him, sending emails, and just showing up at his house to try to get him to go back in time and change something in the past that they didn't like. And he said, oftentimes, they would threaten him. Oh, yeah. Yeah, well, people are desperate, especially like if you think about people who really want to change something in time, so often it's got to do with loved ones or the loss of someone Mm -hmm. and they get desperate. You remember that Denzel movie? Yes. Yeah. (laughs) John Q or something like that. Uh, You get desperate. Somebody on the thread asked him if he actually did uh, time travel and he said, yes, never back in time. Only forward, which I guess we could all really say when you think about it, (laughs) we're all traveling forward in time. (laughs) But he said that uh, when he jumped ahead, he traveled back to his house and all of his things were gone and his house was vacant. So if it was true, then the account of his disappearance for a couple of years after 1997 would kind of fit into, into the story. Okay. There were also rumors that he was homeless and insane and that there were sightings of him in in Hawaii. He said all of this was bullshit, that uh, he is now living in Ohio and has for a while. So I did an internet background search using the information that I had on him, like how old he was Mm -hmm. when he was on Art Bell, so I figured out what year he was born in, the towns that he lived in that were listed in the articles, and of course his name. And I found something kind of interesting. Oh, yeah? You know, I'm getting pretty good at these internet background searches. Whenever we look at buying property, I can find out people's mortgages. I know. It's It's, really kind of creepy. It is creepy. I use my power for good, though. There is a guy named Michael Markham who was born in the right year and who lived in that small Missouri town in the mid-90s. Okay. And what's interesting is that he is currently living in Ohio. So all of these pieces of information that I could find on this guy checks out with the story. I have found several media pages that were connected to this individual, and they've all been shut down. I was even able to find his public Amazon wish list page. (laughs) What's on it? Yeah, I've gotten good at it. What's on it is these two items. A 13-inch heat-resistant protective furnace glove that seems right. <laughs> For refining and casting gold, silver, copper, or aluminum. And a 13.5-inch crucible tongs for graphite furnace use for melting and casting, refining copper, silver, and aluminum, and gold. It certainly fits the profile. It absolutely does. That's very interesting. The story is interesting, but probably bullshit as much as I want to believe this. Yeah. I really would. I'd love this to be true. Of course. But... There is a guy who is out there living in, uh, living in Ohio right now. Underneath f- a dead Ohio sky. <laughs> who fits the profile of this story and that guy 
perfectly. Name, age, towns Amazon he's lived wish in, list. stuff on his wish list. My source information, an article on uh, citydata.com, mysteries unsolved, and wonders.physics.wisc.edu. Amazing. This message is sponsored by Greenlight. You know, as your kids get older, there are some things about parenting that gets easier. I remember once hearing my sister tell my little niece, if you put your pants on, I'll give you some fresca. And when kids can start to reason that they get something if they do something right, it's a lot easier to manage them. Having that conversation about money with your kids, that's not the easiest thing in the world. Fact is, kids won't really know how to manage their money until they're actually in charge of it. And that's where Greenlight can help. Greenlight is a debit card and money app made just for families. Parents can send money to their kids and keep an eye on the kids' spending and savings. While kids and teens build money confidence and lifelong financial literacy skills. Your kids will learn how to save, invest, and spend wisely thanks to the games that teach kids skills in a fun, accessible way. When I was a kid, I had expected chores, and then I had bonus chores. And bonus chores were where I earned money. And so if you're thinking like, hey, my kids should be doing stuff around the house. Yeah, no, you're not wrong. But maybe there's extra ways that they can learn how to be a successful financial money person. What was one of the bonus chores that you had to do? (sighs) Rub my mom's feet. And what did that pay? I don't know, like a quarter or something. Millions of parents and kids are learning about money on Greenlight. It's the easy, convenient way for parents to raise financially smart kids and families to navigate their life together. Sign up for Greenlight today and get your first month free when you go to greenlight.com slash oddities. That's greenlight.com slash oddities to try Greenlight for free. Greenlight.com slash oddities. I've got to tell you, the longer we've had our aura frame, the more I love it. I have kids and they live about 3,000 miles away and my daughter is expecting a child and she has been sending me updates on her baby bump through the aura frame. And since I can't be there to experience it with her, it's the next best thing. And speaking of mothers, if you're looking for the perfect gift to celebrate your mom in your life, Aura Frames are beautiful Wi-Fi connected digital picture frames. It allows you to share and display unlimited photos. It's super easy to upload and super easy to share photos with the Aura app. And here's the thing, if you're giving Aura as a gift, you can even personalize the frame with preloaded photos and memories. We love Aura Frames and living so far away from family, thanks to Aura, it's the next best thing. It's like, it's like almost being there. And right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Box of Oddities freaks can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off, plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com. Use code Oddities at checkout to save. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com and use code Oddities at checkout, and you will save. Thanks, Aura Frames, for bringing my family a little bit closer. And now, that thing in the middle. In 1857, the SS Central America sank during a hurricane en route from Panama to New York City. The wreck was located in 1988, and in 1991, among other things, a trunk was found. 
The trunk was full of many personal items, including a pair of what appear to be very old jeans. Even though the jeans weren't marked, they show a lot of similarities to the early minor pants that Levi Strauss invented. Recently, these jeans sold at auction for $114,000. We got this message from Brent on Instagram. I just wanted to share my daughter's Christmas cookie for her boyfriend's family cookie contest, which I think is an awesome idea, by the way. She won the contest, and oh. he shared the photo, and this gingerbread cookie looks like maybe it's been through an autopsy <laughs> it is very pale uh -huh. its midsection is entirely red and chunky uh -huh. and you can clearly see a rib cage oh my god so it's delightful thank you brent thank you and michael sent us this email just thought i'd share an interesting fact with you a piece of widely known common knowledge is that when performing CPR, it's helpful to sing the song Stayin' Alive by the 70s disco kings, the Bee Gees, of in course. order to keep the correct rhythm during chest compressions. A lesser known fact, however, is that the beats per minute of Jethro's much lauded sure to be hit, What You Got For Me, <laughs> is the perfect accompaniment to a couple's intimate time. The pulsing beat combined with Jethro's dulcet tones sure. really sets the mood and ensures a good time was had by all. Yeah, Jethro's dulcet tones. <laughs> yeah, that always works. Sure, it's not a long song, but unfortunately for my fiancé, that isn't a problem for me. <laughs> Many regards, Michael, a box fan from Sheffield, England. Wow. That is glorious. Thank you so much, Michael. I think, and I wrote back to Michael, I said, this is the, the best email I've ever received. <laughs> it's right up there anyway. We also received some actual mail. Thank you so much to Rick and Steve, who sent us a glorious package. I don't even think that I can fully express the range and beauty of the things contained within. I got a Southwest-style stone inlay pocket knife which is gorgeous and will never come on a flight with me. <laughs> yeah, make sure that's not in your backpack when we go to the airport. Shell-based panda-style Christmas ornaments, sweet treats, dog toys. Rick and Steve, you guys are the best. I can't get enough. They are founding members, charter members of the Inner Circle of Freaks. They've been with us since the very, very beginning, and we just love them. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. On our show, we help listeners like you make the most of your finances. I sit down with NerdWallet's team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. We answer your real-world money questions and break down the latest personal finance news. The nerds will give you the clarity you need by cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. We don't promote get-rich-quick schemes or hype unrealistic side hustles. Instead, we offer practical knowledge that you can apply in your everyday life. You'll learn about strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. And you'll walk away with the confidence you need to ensure that your money is always working as hard as you are. So turn to the nerds to answer your real-world money questions and get insights that can help you make the smartest financial decisions for your life. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Hey there, I'm Dylan Lewis, one of the hosts of Motley Fool Money. 
Each weekday on Motley Fool Money, we talk through the business news you need to know and the stories moving stocks on Wall Street. On weekends, we dive into the industries shaping tomorrow and host the experts, authors, and executives that understand them. Tune in for insights, a long-term perspective on investing, and of course, stock ideas, plenty of them. To quote a listener, it pays to listen. Check us out and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. You're listening to The Box of Audit. Hang on, we just got a text. Not sure we made our... Okay, that can wait. This is The Box of Oddities. All right, your turn. The Northeast United States, it has a wealth of fine art. It seems like just around every corner you can find the home of an O'Keefe, a Cassatt, a Homer, all the Ninja Turtles. Within (laughs) this cornucopia of talent and creativity is a special place that also celebrates art, a different kind of art. It's the Museum of Bad Art. I'm listening. The Museum of Bad Art, or MOBA as it's known, (laughs) says it's the world's only museum dedicated to the collection, preservation, exhibition, and celebration of bad art in all its forms. (laughs) The Museum of Bad Art was established in 1994 when Scott Wilson recovered a painting from a Boston trash heap. The painting, Lucy in the Field with Flowers, is a portrait of a mature woman in a floral house dress, sitting precariously on a mostly unseen stool, though some have interpreted her as dancing, in a field of flowers below a bold yellow sky. Wilson thought he would snag it and sell the frame, but when he shared the painting with his friends, they objected, suggesting he start a collection. One of the friends, Jerry Riley, used a phrase that would become a bit of a motto, that is so bad, it's good. Riley took the piece and hung it in his home, but the curating did not end there. Soon he and Wilson and a few others, inspired by the showpiece, were scoping out yard sales, thrift (laughs) shops, and town dumps for more. An amazing hobby. Oh, it's become so much more than a hobby. Luis Sacco, MOBA's current permanent acting interim executive director, and also Riley's sister, (laughs) said it was when a busload of people arrived at Riley's home to see the collection that they realized they had to do more. They just showed up unannounced on a bus? I don't know exactly how that worked out, but a busload of people went to his home. So they opened a gallery in the Somerville Theater, a space generously donated by the theater. The collection was placed near the restrooms, (laughs) the museum claiming that the constant flushing toilets helped maintain a consistent humidity level. Sure, we need to protect the art for future generations. Right. They also have held space at Dedham Community Theater, Brookline Access Television, the New England Wildlife Center, and more. Their space is limited, though, and MOBA's curator-in-chief, Michael Frank, is selective. Yeah, I'm wondering, what is the criteria? Because most of the art in the world, well, sucks. Let's, <gasps> you know, let's be honest. I mean, out of the, the huge volume of art, only a little bit of it is really good. The rest of it's just... You know, where do you draw the line? This is not bad enough or this is 
this is bad, but still kind of good. I mean, what is the criteria? It's part of what the museum and its curators examine. To be included in MOBA's collection, works must be original and have serious intent. But they must also have significant flaws without being boring. And curators are, quote, not interested in displaying deliberate kitsch. They accept less than 25% of what is offered to them by others, Mm. choosing instead to acquire most of the pieces themselves. Serious intent. Okay. That makes makes a lot of sense. You can weed a lot of crap out that way. Absolutely. The art then goes through a process to see if an artist can be determined and if a source material might be uncovered. A great example of this is on display during the museum's Doppelhangers exhibit. (laughs) It is a depiction of American actress Marilyn Monroe. And what uh, initially appears to be pig's feet sticking out from under her dress are actually her own feet attached to unseen knees bent as she's jumping up. But it looks like pig feet. Yeah. Frank says that this painting is clearly based on an image he found online by a French photographer, Felipe Hausman, who in the 1950s did a series of people jumping in midair. So this painting was a artist's representation of that photo. I see. Haven't mastered painting knees yet, though. Knees are hard. Each painting or sculpture at MOBA is accompanied by a brief description of the medium, the size, the name of the artist if known, as well as how the piece was acquired. There's also an analysis of the work's possible intention or symbolism. The founders reject the idea that they are making fun of art or being snobby in any way. They protest that they celebrate any artist's right to fail gloriously. (laughs) Hear, hear. They also think that it's important to question how one decides what is and is not bad art. I don't understand art, but I know what I hate. That's fair enough. Part of me believes that art is anything that can what's that word evoke evoke an emotion i i agree 100 percent. and sometimes those emotions aren't good do you remember that book that i read like i don't know nine years ago called the house of sand and fog I fucking hated that book <laughs> I fucking hated that. so they succeeded in creating art because they they made you angry no they i have, just really hate that book Oh, okay i really appreciate that sentiment about evoking emotion because that's what dolly said the paintings his sculptures were not the art no the art was the reaction that people had to seeing it right and that's so often with performance art what what that's about and how um that woman i cannot remember the artist's name right now um but she did that piece the performance piece where she stood in a room alone with a bunch of implements around her and allowed people to do whatever to her yeah that was a horrifying response yeah and the reaction of those around her absolutely was the art one of the objects was a gun Mm. a pistol and the more people that went through the more extreme their reactions were to the to the point where somebody picked up the pistol not knowing if it was loaded or not pointed it at her head and pulled the trigger Ah, yes. Uh, Serbian artist Mariana Abramovic. She had 72 objects set out on the table um, that people could use. And it ranged from a feather or a rose to a knife, barbed wire, etc. And uh, how people behaved 
in that environment mm. was wild and absolutely something that should be examined. Oh, that got dark. Back to bad art. <laughs> the museum has had traveling exhibits. In 2001, there was an exhibition called Buck Naked, Nothing But Nudes, which featured all of MOBA's nudes hung in a local spa. They had an exhibit called Bright Colors, Dark Emotions. Also, Know What You Like, slash Paint How You Feel. And that's been held at the Academic Gallery in Montserrat College of Art. That's in Beverly. In an exhibit titled A Wash in Bad Art, 18 pieces of art were covered in shrink wrap for the world's first drive through museum and car wash. <laughs> Marie Jackson, who was previously the director of aesthetic interpretation, noted, we didn't put any watercolors in that exhibit. That's smart. Much like the nearby Isabella Stewart Gardner Museum, MOBA has seen heartbreaking theft. In 1996, the painting Eileen by R. Angelo Lee vanished from MOBA. Eileen was acquired from the trash by Wilson and featured a rip in the canvas where someone had slashed it with a knife even before the museum acquired it. The museum insisted that this added an additional element of drama to an already powerful work. The museum offered a reward of $6.50 for the return of Eileen, and although MOBA donors <laughs> later increased that reward to thirty-six seventy-three, mm -hmm. it still remained missing for 10 years. Oh, my God. Until in 2006, MOBA was contacted by the purported thief demanding a $5,000 ransom. <laughs> no ransom was paid, but it was returned anyway. Yeah. Yeah. I mean try, I guess. Yeah, I guess. Whatever. MOBA's permanent collection has over 800 pieces and that's stored in a secure warehouse near Boston. It also features works in rotating collections, as we've talked about. Uh, it's usually between 40 and 50 at a time. The museum unfortunately lost its physical gallery space in the basement of Somerville Theater during the pandemic when the theater owners sought to renovate the bathroom basement area that it occupied. So it's now located at 1250 Massachusetts Avenue in the Dorchester Brewing Company. Perfect. Let's get hammered and look at bad art. I can't wait to get <laughs> back to Massachusetts. Admission is always free, and you should absolutely go and check it out. Some of the pieces, I'm going to share a few on social media. Okay, awesome. And I can't, I can't wait. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I got my information from Harvard Magazine, the Museum of Bad Art, Wikipedia, and Boston Magazine. I'm so grateful for people like this. That rescue bad art from that, dumpsters? That just curate things that they find amazing and make something that is in itself art. Like this museum yeah. is in itself a... Piece of performance. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of like your friend who collects abandoned grocery lists from shopping carts. A moment for Johnny Mac. Well done, John. You should open a museum. Oh my gosh, I would love that. <gasps> I could help. Dear Johnny e. Mac, please do this. I can help. As we mentioned, we are shortly heading to Thailand and we are working our asses off to make sure that you have the quality content that you deserve. But also, I, we just don't want to have to do it for a little while while we're in <laughs> Thailand because I don't know what the Wi Fi is like. I hear it's lovely, though. The Wi Fi? Yeah, the Thai Wi-Fi. <laughs> but we'll stay in touch and we'll share our travels with you as we go. And we look forward to seeing you next time. Until then, keep flying that freak flag.
Fly it proudly, you beautiful free. And so, let it be known that the box of oddities belongs to you, and its fate is in your hands. The Box of Oddities commits to the telling of stories, stories of the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected. We wish to offer our deeply felt gratitude and appreciation for your patronage. TheBoxOfOddities.com On Facebook at Facebook.com slash Box of Oddities Podcast On Twitter at Box of Oddities and Instagram at Box of Oddities Podcast Copyright 2023 All rights reserved These are the best gummy bears in the world Okay, I'm so sorry. They're just so good. Flavor, I texture. Will, I will never stand between you and your gummies. So good. Okay. Do you love history but hate when it's stuffy and boring? Well, look no further and join me, Katie Charlwood, your friend, the neighborhood social scientist and reader of books, as I delve into unsolved historical mysteries, murders by gaslight, and of course, women who have been misrepresented through all time. On Who Did What Now, the history podcast that's not your history class. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Hello everyone, it's Takuyi here. And I'm Gabby. And we are the hosts of History of Everything, a podcast which you can probably guess by the name is, well, I mean, it's about everything. Do you want to know why people thought potatoes were evil and would give you syphilis? Are you curious about all the stories of the terrible and stupid ways that people have kicked the bucket over the years? Do you want to hear tales about all of the different badasses of history and the lives that they had brought to life? Well, if so, then look no further. History of Everything is just the right podcast for you. It's available on Spotify, Pandora, and anywhere else that you get your podcast from. Join us for some fun and just see how weird and wacky history can be.